friends. Welcome to the Mini Dairy Goat Podcast, all things miniature dairy goat. Not too big, not too small, just right. I'm your host, Carrie O'Neill. Join me as I guide you through the enchanting and addicting world of miniature dairy goats. Hey, goat friends. Welcome to the Mini Dairy Goat Podcast. I'm so excited. Uh, we've got a guest on today for the first time. We've worked out all the technical details, and I'm happy to announce that we have Amy Parker from TMGR, which is the Miniature Dairy Goat Registry. Hey, Amy, how's it going? Hey, it's going great. Well, one of the things I'd like to when I have guests on is just kind of do a quick, uh, hey, what's going on at your farm? Um, so if you'd like to share kind of what have you been up to with your goats lately? Oh, yes. We are uh, at the beginning of breeding season here. We always tell ourselves we're going to get started breeding earlier to get some of those December and January kids on the ground, and we can never seem to get our act together. So um, the girls are coming into heat and the boys are running around like crazy in their pasture and where we have our plan set up and and now it's just getting the bucks and the does and the pins together to do their thing. Great. Yeah, we've been uh, here in Texas. We've had, uh, I've got one doe bred so far, but it's been the same thing. And I myself have also wanted to have January and February babies. And last year, we had a very, very hard freeze uh, right after Valentine's Day. It got down to six degrees here in South Texas. And so we were just snowed in and it was crazy. Uh, and it was one of those things where you're like, okay, maybe maybe late February and March babies are where we need to stick to it. So I know you're out in uh, California. Uh, tell us a little bit about your farm and then we'll kind of dive into TMGR. Yeah, so we, we got into goats... Um, about eight years ago now, our son was allergic to cow's milk and, uh, we gave goat milk a try and it worked for us. And we moved, um, from the city, from a suburb, um, to a little, a little town called Wilton, where we had about six acres and we, we started the goat adventure. And after a couple of years, we were like, you know, we're, we're really liking raising goats but uh, this farm that we have is kind of too flat and too much on a busy road. And we started looking for a new place. And where we landed is a little tiny town called Ione in Amador County. And we have 20 acres of rolling hills and uh, oak savanna uh, natural pastures with a little bit of chaparral, a little bit of chamise and buckthorn and and those kind of scrubby bushes that the goats really love chewing on. So our farm is set up to where the developed, you know, the houses and the barns um, take up about two acres. And then the bucks have uh, about a two acre pasture. And then all the rest is set up for the does. So they get to wander around that natural grassland and shrubland during the day and come back and up back up in the evening and eat alfalfa at night to keep them keep them going all night awesome sounds beautiful i'll have to make a note of that if i'm ever out out that way swing by for a visit yeah absolutely we love having people visit 
<laughs> well, thanks again, Amy, so much. So we're going to go ahead and uh, dive into our topic today. So Amy, share with us, what is your active role right now with TMGR? I am TMGR's registrar. So I handle um, most of the office business, um, all of the membership, and all of the registration of um, GOATS. Um, I started as registrar um, five years ago, six years ago, 2017, I believe. That the times all kind of blurred together <laughs> at yeah. the end of the day. Um, prior to becoming the registrar, I had been a member of TMGR's board for a couple of years. And the registrar at the time, Donna Elkins, needed to step down. Uh, she had a, a couple of teenagers in her house and she was finding she needed to spend more more time with the kids and less time working. So I transitioned to being a board member into being registrar and board member. And that's mm -hmm. what I am right now. Great. I'm just thinking we forgot to kind of recap, and this was in the previous episodes, but um, TMGR is one of the main two registries that does register our miniature dairy goats. Um, so I don't think we just kind of jumped right in and we kind of flew right over that, but that was in the previous episode. Um, well, tell us a little about the history of TMGR. How did the registry get started? Yeah, so um, the very first registry to, to accept miniature dairy goats was um, IDGR, right? Mm -hmm. The International Dairy Goat Registry. And mm -hmm. their registry, they've changed their names over time, but they, they essentially accepted anything and everything. If you wanted to start tracking the pedigree of a goat, um, you could do that with them. And then a couple of folks, well, actually a private, right? Indeed, uh, the Miniature Dairy Goat Association started out as a individual for-profit uh, project business mm -hmm. um, that was registering miniature dairy goats. And, and I believe MDGA got started mostly because IDGR wasn't really meeting the needs mm -hmm. of the mini dairy goat group. Um, TMGR got started um, for a, a handful of, of reasons. There were concerns about um, the registries that were available at the time as to how member friendly they were. Um, there were some concerns about how promptly or lack thereof paperwork was being sent out. There were some questions or concerns about standards for breeds and um, performance programs like a milk program or show rules. And uh, the group of folks that, that started TMGR wanted to have more of those standards written out and um, have that match more the um, other registries that were in place. Our initial board came from either having experience with Nigerian dwarfs or with standard goats or in the early stages of developing goats. And they were looking to set up something for minis that was um, more like ADGA and, or NDGA for the Nigerians um, 
And, and that's what led them to uh, hold a meeting in uh, the summer of 2006. There was a group of about eight folks that um, sat down and wrote out all the bylaws and all of the standards and all of the program rules. And um, TMGR became an official business in January 1st, uh, 2007. As the registry evolved, it, it initially started off as a um, for-profit, uh, I guess, business because of some of the time that it takes to um, get all of your bylaws and things in place to become a non-profit organization. But it, at, in 2016, TMGR did transition into being a 5013C nonprofit organization specific to the education of um, miniature miniature dairy goats. Great. Awesome. Yeah, I didn't know a lot of that. Good. That's why we're doing this. Got to spread the education, get the knowledge out there. Well, um, I am, I'm a member of TMGR and I have taken part in a lot of the different programs. So I'm going to be excited when we get to those and can talk about that. But um, tell us just in general, how many goats of each breed have been registered? Kind of what do the trends look like um, as far as what are the most popular breeds? Yeah, so the, the most popular breeds are definitely the Mini La Mancha and the Mini Nubian. Um, right now, TMGR registered Mini La Manchas is um, just over 1,600 goats, and uh, Mini Nubians is over 2,000 uh, registered goats. When it comes to the um, other breeds, the next two closest are Mini Alpine with about 300 and Mini Oberhosley, which mm-hmm. uh, has about 350 individuals. And then the Guernseys, the Sonnens, the Sables, the Toggenbergs, all those mini versions fall far, far behind Yeah, um, with uh, about 100 goats each of those breeds registered within TMGR. Gotcha. On those top two breeds, on the La Manches and the, the Mini Nubians, are, have you seen some trends? Are, are we increasing um, year over year in registries? Or is the, are the breeds getting more popular? Um, yeah. So if I look back at our data, um, we have um, increases in numbers, oh, I would say starting in 2014 and increasing today where um, this year so far we have um, added 150 mini La Manchas and uh, 250 mini Nubians. And if I look back in preceding years, you know, it, it you know, is down around, if I go back to like 2012, we're at 30 to 40 mini La Manchas and about 75 many Nubians being registered in that year. So we definitely have this uh, increasing trend. I, I do think the miniature dairy goat, which is actually a mid-sized dairy goat, mm-hmm, right? Because mm-hmm. it's not as small as the mm-hmm. Nigerian dwarf or pygmies and not as big as the standards. Um, that they certainly are gaining in, in popularity. And as people understand what they 
can really bring to a homestead or to a farm, I, I think their popularity is going to continue to increase and those registration numbers are going to increase as well. Yeah, kind of the the tagline for the podcast, I always say, not too big, not too small, just right. So that's kind of the mini dairy goat, so that midsize. Um, so how, if I, you know, just this podcast, we designed, you know, I designed it to, I want to be, you know, base level people uh, just getting into dairy goats and provide uh, them some resources. So if I wanted to get started with TMGR, how would I go about doing that? Tell me more about what the membership options are. Um, you know, I hear, uh, you know, you got to start, you got to get a herd name, you got to have some tattoos. Tell, tell us a little bit about that process, Amy. Absolutely. So TMGR has two primary uh, kinds of membership. We have a single membership and we have what we call as a family membership. Um, functionally, the way that works is in a single membership, the ownership name has to be the same on all of the goats. So if you and your spouse always want to have all of your goats in both of your names and have that ownership line be the same, you can get a single membership with TMGR and the ownership on every goat will be the same. If you want the flexibility of having um, different names on your goats, if some of your goats you want to own and you want your spouse to own some of the goats and you want your children to be able to own some of the goats, or you want to have combinations of any kinds of names associated with that ownership, with that member ID. Um, that's where the family membership comes in. Um, the family membership essentially allows you to identify which people are connected to your um, member number, which comes with a herd name and a tattoo, which we'll get to in just a second. Um, and then any combination of those names can be owners on your goat. Um, I've had some people ask whether we have a separate uh, ownership or membership for businesses. And we don't feel like we need to do that. We feel that if you have an LLC or a corporation that covers your farm, that you can either sign up as your farm and a single membership or your farm as a family membership if you want some of your animals to be held under your farm name versus some of the members of your family. Um, you, When you sign up with your membership, you indicate to us who has signing authority for that membership. And that's the person that I then need to double check with when it comes to selling or transferring goats and registering goats and that kind of thing. Um, we have been asked whether uh, we would consider a youth membership. Um, we could. We, we'd be happy to offer that, although our prices are, are low enough that um, we kind of feel that you can, can get those qualities that you would find with a youth membership using our single or our family membership. Um, <clears throat> And then, I'm sorry, I've already forgotten what your next question was. <laughs> um, herd names and tattoos. Oh, yes. So with every membership, um, if you are going to be breeding and then wanting to register your goats, um, goats are tracked by what herd they come from, what ownership they come from. And that's where your herd name comes in. And that herd name can be any name that you want it to be. 
Um, we generally recommend that herd names be less than 20 characters long. Uh, a goat name is limited to 35 or 36 characters. So we recommend herd names be, like I said, less than 20 characters. So you still have room to come up with those unique uh, individual names for the, for the goats. Um, that herd name goes on the front of every goat's name and um, ties back to your location. Part of the reason why we need to have that is um, TMGR registrations with either tattoos or microchips in your goats allow you to meet USDA scrapey compliance regulations as far as transporting goats, provided that you transport the goat with a copy or with the registration certificate. Right. So it's USDA that requires every registry in order to meet the scrapey compliance laws um, to have unique herd names. So if you have a herd name, nobody else gets to have that herd name within this within a given registry um, and have a unique tattoo um, combination that is assigned to each goat. So for goats with ears the goat's right ear holds the herd tattoo. Um, and that can be any kind of combination of uh, two to four characters that are uh, letters or numbers. Um, the left ear of the goat has a unique identifier. And the standard is that every year is assigned a letter of the alphabet. And then we recommend that as kids are born on your property, that you give them a chronological number that matches their birth date, essentially. So it's the first kid born in 2001 would be in, because in is the 2001 letter, followed by the number one, because they're the first born, where the 25th kid born would be in 25. Um, you're not required to follow that, the, the requirement is, is that tattoos have to be unique. Um, so if you want to do something different, you can. We have some members that like to somehow keep track of boys versus girls born at their farm. So they do in plus the number for girls, but the number plus the in for boys. So they can kind of keep track of it that way. Um, so there there is flexibility there. The only requirement is that they have to be Herd tattoo plus the unique identifier have to be a unique combination within the registry. And to do that, you've got the membership forms online and they would complete that. And then that sends it into TMGR and you guys would check and see if that was available and then get that all assigned. Is that correct? Yes, that is correct. So every time somebody requests a herd name, we compare it to the herd names that are already in our system to make sure that they're different or different enough. And then uh, same thing with tattoos. When people request a tattoo, I make sure nobody else is using that tattoo. And, um, and if by chance it uh, is in use, I would then contact that new member to see what number they would want. I would offer some suggestions of this is what's available. Do any of these look good to you? Mm -hmm. I love that you mentioned that the herd name should be 
shorter rather than longer because I've seen a lot of people where it's very long and they are very limited on uh, what they can name the goats. Um, here at my farm, mine's real simple. It's Rafter O, so very short. And so I love getting uh, creative with the name. So um, definitely folks take that in consideration when you're thinking about your herd name. Um, all right. So one of the differences that you did speak of um, uh, is that, you know, we'll get into now we're going to dive into the herd books um, and breed standards. Um, so if you want to tell us a little bit more about TMGR's herd books. Absolutely. So um, I think what a lot of people forget is that uh, many registries are still in the process of developing these breeds. These are really young breeds. Many developments started um, in the early 1980s, as far as I know, not much, not much older than that. Um, and it can take decades and generations to actually have a solid new breed right? So if you think of the word purebred, that literally means to breed true, right? So when you have two purebred goats, you should be able to look at the two parents of these of this purebred breed, right? And you should be able to predict what their kids are going to look like, all of the characteristics of what their kids will have and what those kids will look like when they become grown-up adults, adult goats, right? So um, if you look at uh, an organization like um, ADGA, the American Dairy Goat Association, they are not situated to actually develop new breeds, and they won't consider developing new breeds mm -hmm. within their organization. If you want to develop a new breed, you have to do that on your own and you have to create your own breed club and you have to track your pedigrees and, you know, all of this stuff outside of the registry. And then once you have enough goats and enough people that are excited about that new breed, you can then apply to ADGA to consider including your breed of goat. The, ministry, the miniature registries decided that that didn't make sense, right? That we wanted to assist breeders in the development of new breeds. And to do that, we have herd books that track the development of that breed. So you have an experimental herd book, you have an American herd book, and you have a purebred herd book. And in that experimental herd book, what you're really tracking is who are the parents, right? Is the parent um, coming from the breeds that you are allowing to be combined to make this new breed? So within the mini world, that is a combination of a Nigerian dwarf and a standard breed or a goat that is already the blending of a Nigerian dwarf and a standard breed. Um, because it's at that experimental stage, there is not an expectation nor a requirement to actually meet what the breed standard will be. 
They, you know, because you're blending these two other breeds, sometimes the ears come out wonky. Sometimes the colors come out wrong. The nose or the head characteristics aren't right. I mean, er, when you're blending two breeds, it is actually pretty complicated getting the right set of genes to make the goat look the way you want them to look and perform. So that's what the experimental herd book is all about. So in that we require um, first and second generations. So I, I guess I should take a step back. Your foundation breeds are, are your standard breed and your Nigerian dwarf. And they are identified as a foundation breed by being given the um, generation number F0 because zero means this is the foundation. <clears throat> a first and second generation is a goat that is one step or two steps away from those foundation breeds. So an F1, a first generation is one step away from a foundation breed and an F2 is two steps away. So if you're only two steps away from a foundation breed, we are not um, expecting that you are going to have really consistent offspring. And that's why we keep those two generations in the experimental herd book. The experimental herd book can also hold generations that are higher than first and second generation. And those are the individuals that generationally might be farther from the foundation breeds but are not demonstrating that they are meeting breed character. So for a, like a mini Nubian, it doesn't have pendulous ears or it doesn't have the full Roman nose or, you know, for some of the color breeds like Oberhosleys, they have spots, white spots that are too big. Um, when you're getting into the American herd book, which for TMGR is identified as third, fourth, and fifth generations, provided that those individual goats meet breed character and breed standard. Um, we're indicating by um, the name of the American herd book that we are moving out of that experimental phase and that we are starting to see consistency in offspring and consistency of uh, throwing breed character on the offsprings of, of those goats. Um, in TMGR, in order to be moved into the American herd book, a goat has to be at least one year old. And you have to have documentation of that one-year-old goat meeting uh, the breed character and uh, specifically um, making sure that they are not um, too tall in um, in development. So, um, so that is a, a difference with TMGR as compared to um, MDGA or with um, IDGR or whatever their new name is. Um, Midga places animals into the American herd book um, at first registration, even if those even if that first registration is before the goat is one year old. Um, TMGR did not make that choice. Um, and there was a lot of, there was a lot of debate, right? Cause goats continue to grow until they're three or four years old. And there was a, a question 
as far as, well, maybe we shouldn't allow animals to be placed in the American herd book until they were full grown and full age. Um, and the board at the time decided that uh, people would be too impatient with that, <laughs> that it would, it would be hard to keep breeding um, without having that change in status. And that um, for the most part, they felt like if you looked at a goat when they were one year old, you had a pretty good idea of predicting whether they were going to go over height or not. Um, and that over heightness is still held at the discretion of the registrar. So if somebody tries to register um, like a mini Nubian, they're one of the breeds that there are several lines of mini Nubians that go over height. And um, so if you wanted to register a mini Nubian who was one year old and was at 30 and a half inches at one year old, I, as the registrar, have the discretion to go, mm, I think we're going to wait a little bit because I'm worried that he's going to go over height because I know he still has two or three years of growing. Um, as a registrar, that can make it pretty complicated, right? Because and, and I have to help new breeders in particular um, understand this amazing and challenging journey that we are all on in the development of these new breeds, right? Um, developing new breeds is not for the faint heart. It, it requires a lot of uh, diligence and focus and um, attention to detail. And, and sometimes in our enthusiasm and our rush to want to move forward, we kind of forget about that, right? And, and I, as the registrar, have to remind folks sometimes that we want to produce high quality animals that meet the breed standard and that height is one of those things and that we need to be patient. Um, the other thing is, you know, while some breeds you can tell, you know, from a kid that hits the ground, whether they're going to meet breed standard or not, um, those mini Nubians, man, they can be so difficult with how their nose and ears develop and change over time. So that's another one where if we immediately placed um, animals in herd book, in, in the American or purebred herd book, based solely on what they look like when they were a couple days or a couple weeks old, um, there's a lot of change that happens in that breed character. So again, that's why TMGR um, set the standard of we don't move animals into the American herd book in, until they're at least one years old. Um, the purebred herd book is for six generations and higher. And it was assumed that by the time you get to six generation, um, your animal should be breeding true at that point and could meet that definition of purebred. Um, I can tell you as registrar that that is not always the case, <laughs> that 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 getting to breed true, you know, if you think, especially, especially when it comes to mini Nubians, they are so challenging. They're one of the breeds that our farm raises and they are just challenging. Um, so 
so when it so TMGR standard for purebred is not based solely on the individual goat and what the goat looks like when they're more than a year old. Um, it is also based on the three preceding generations. And we need to have documentation that the parents, the grandparents, and the great-grandparents of the goat that you're trying to register in the purebred herd book all meet breed standard. And if somewhere in there, one of those ancestors in the parents, the grandparents, the great-grandparents, if they went over height or if they had throwback wonky ears, if they're a mini Nubian, or the other breed that my farm raises is mini Oberhosleys. So we, we have to breed for that beautiful red bay color with the black points. And um, if one of those pops up with a big white spot on it, that's bigger than an inch, that doesn't meet breed standard. And that white, that white in mini Oberhosleys is so frustrating because white is not, um, is not a dominant genetic trait. So we can hide in several sets of, um, what appear to be beautifully colored, perfect examples of Oberhosleys. And then this white splash kid pops out. Ugh, breaks my heart every time. But, um, so, so if you had that in your line, you then have this concern, right, about is that line truly breeding true, which is the definition of purebred. And that's why TMGR has that additional requirement that it's not just based on what the individual animal looks like, but do you have documentation of the parents, grandparents, and great-grandparents as adults meeting the breed standard. So we can start to say with a little bit more confidence that that animal comes from a line that breeds true. Now, one of the other differences uh, between TMGR and MDGA is the percentage requirements. You want to dive into that? Yeah. Or a yeah. lack thereof, I guess. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. So, so on a TMGR registration, we provide every breeder or owner of that animal what that estimated percentage of Nubian versus um, Nigerian in a mini Nubian or Nigerian and whatever other standard breed for other, the other standard breeds. Um, but the reality is, is that is that's really a fake number, <laughs> right? Because that's not when, when you um, learn biology and how eggs and sperm are created in go in animals in any in any animal um that whole mitosis meiosis thing is a big scrambling of all the genes that are there right so in that first generation goat where you're breeding a nigerian dwarf to a standard goat that 50-50 percentage, 100% true. That's the only time that it's true, right? Because you have a Nigerian that's giving you 50% of the genetics and a standard goat that's giving you 50% of the genetics, 
genetics. So when you say that's a 50-50 animal, that's true. If you then take a 50-50 first gen and you breed it with another 50-50 first gen, um, we can claim that their offspring are going to be 50-50, but that's not really the way biology works. Each of those animals is going to create different eggs and sperm that are actually going to have slightly different percentages of their parents' genetic material. Claiming that that animal is a 50-50 animal is our best guess, but it's not known, right? So as you move forward and you get more and more complicated things where you're breeding a 50-50 back to a standard or Nigerian, and then you have these 25 75 goats that you then breed with your 50 50s and you start getting these 60 30 and 62 and 37.5 right and all the numbers start going all crazy on you right it's like those are good guesses of what might be happening but they're not they are they are not known you you Mm -hmm. do not know that um so when tmgr was so, so I guess I need to take a little step back. Um, that 3070 rule was created by um, Andrea Green, the owner of MDGA at the time. And um, it was a for-profit business with her as the sole owner. And she had a board of advisors that she would use as mentors or people to bounce ideas off of. And she talked to this board of, of, of advisors about wanting to make this 3070 rule for Midga. And her board told her not to. Her board of advisors said, don't do it. And um, because she was the owner of Midga and she had a strong belief that you needed to set some kind of standard for all these new breeders because there were there are a lot of people start with mini goats who did not come up through like ranks of 4-H and haven't owned goats before. So they're brand new to goats, starting off with mini, starting off with the, the difficultness of um, creating a new breed, right? Learning about goats and creating a new breed. Um, that Andrea really wanted there to be this standard. Um, Several members of her board resigned, stopped working with Andrea because she made this decision and actually came to TMGR because TMGR had the um, business practice of we will provide that information to breeders to be able to use with it as you will, but that we were so, um, but we're relying, relying on what's called the phenotype of the goat to determine whether a goat should be placed in a given herd book or not. Right. So a genotype is the genes that are theoretically inside of the goat and the phenotype are the genes that end up being expressed It's what does the animal look like? So you could have a goat that is technically 
80% Nigerian dwarf, but if it got the right gene to have pendulous ears as a mini Nubian, what mattered to us was, did it have the breed characteristics that we were looking for in a given breed? So, so that is why TMGR provides the information calculated the same way that MDGA calculates those percentages, the same way that ADGA calculates their percentages when you're moving an animal through the grade or experimental herd books in ADGA. But we don't limit our breeders to follow that particular rule. We rely on breeders to know what the breed standard is and to be breeding animals that meet that breed standard in what the animal looks like, not the theoretical genetic makeup on a piece of paper. Okay. Wow. That was awesome. I'm so excited that you just went into all that because it really is going to help some of our mini dairy goat enthusiasts as they're getting started and to learn kind of what we're trying to do here. And we're trying to build a better goat and, you know, that's really important. So, wow. Okay. Let me just take a few moments to gather my thoughts because I'm blown away. Um, (laughs) Okay. So, um, I think that kind of hit all the, the herd books. Um, the next thing I had is um, a lot of folks will do in the mini dairy goat world what we call dual register. Um, so they're registering with both TMGR and MDGA. And that can be done. And there are definitely, we're going to, uh, in a second here, we're going to dive into all of your programs and some of all the other cool things that TMGR offers its members. Um, but just wanted to, to mention that, that it's not, doesn't have to be one or the other. You can, um, you can, you can, it can be, you can pick your favorite and go for that. Um, but also you can dual register and take advantage of all the great things that both of the, the main registries offer. Um, so can I can I yeah. throw one thing in there? Hit that. Because um, the the one thing that I hadn't uh, talked about that that is another place where TMGR and and MDGA differ is the handling of animals with unknown lineage or unknown parentage, um, often called native on a parent or grade, because of that lack of pedigree. Um. My understanding is that MDGA created a grade herd book and had a series of rules that allowed an animal to be entered into that grade herd book and then to be able to move out of that grade herd book. Um, And that at this point in time, I believe MDGA no longer has a grade herd book option. Yeah, I think that's correct. Yeah, uh, yeah, definitely. Let's, Let's talk on this native on appearance. Yeah, so TMGR, again, recognizing that we knew we were in the process of developing new breeds and wanting to support members on developing new breeds, um, we looked to how uh, ADGA, ADGA, the American Dairy Goat Association, handled um, animals of unknown parentage, uh, unknown lineages, 
sometimes just undocumented that you know who the parents were, but you never got the registration papers work done or, you know, that whole kind of thing where papers get lost and then the animal is, is paperless. Um, Aga created uh, a grade herd book. Um, as soon as a, you have to breed a grade animal to a registered animal that's either in the American or the purebred herd book in Adga. And then um, after they hit 87% known lineage, they are then moved into the American herd book as does. Bucks, in order to be moved into the American herd book in Adga, have to have more than 92% known lineages, right? So, and then Adga also has this experimental herd book where animals that don't meet breed standards can go into the experimental herd book, or if you want to breed two different known lineage animals, but different breeds together because you're trying to fix the hips or the rear, you know, the rear udder, or, you know, you're, you're trying to fix a particular thing and you breed out to a different breed to fix that problem in the goat that you're working with. That then becomes an experimental and you continue to breed back until for a doe, more than 82% of the animal is known of that breed or um, or a buck, 92%. And then they become Americans, right? So in looking at that, TMGR did not feel like we needed to have a separate grade herd book, that we could um, add a generation of development of, of, of additional breeding. <laughs> and, and we just place our... Um, NOAs, native on appearance animals, into our experimental herd book. But instead of them being an F1, they're labeled an F0, which requires that line to then have an additional generation before it is eligible for the purebred herd book. Um, we closed our uh, native on appearance program and um, opened what's called a native on production program. So you can still have an animal of unknown or undocumented lineages that looks like it meets a breed standard for one of the minis. And if you put that animal on a 305 milk test and you document that, yes, they produce sufficient quantities of milk or protein or butterfat to earn a milk star, that those animals can then be registered as NOP, native on production within TMGR. So when you had made the statement of you can dual register animals between MDGA and TMGR, that is true for 99% of the goats that are out there. <laughs> but when it comes to this grade NOA, NOP, um, the rules are uh, different and way too complicated to try to cover in a podcast. Mm -hmm. So if you're looking at your animal and you are seeing that they have an unknown parent in their, in their history, um, you, I would highly recommend that you contact the registrar of, of Midga or me as the registrar of TMGR 
to get specific information about whether that animal can or cannot be dual registered because there's weird things there that make gotcha. it complicated. Gotcha. Well, that is good to know because I've read a little bit about that, but that was great that you explained that. Um, so you kind of talked a little bit about milk testing. Um, so that is one of the performance programs that you guys offer. Um, can you dive into the TMGR milk testing program? Yeah, so we have a milk program very similar to um, what ADGA runs or uh, AGS, NDGA, and and even MDGA, right? We have um, the option of one-day tests that can either be done as a competition, as part of a fair, um, or they can be done on an individual farm and run strictly with animals that are owned and living at a, a given farm. A one-day test requires that you hire a, a certified milk tester who comes out, verifies that you completely milk out your animals and starts a 24-hour clock. You then milk your animals 12 hours later. You weigh and take a sample of the milk. You then wait another 12 hours. So you're getting 24 hours from your milk out. You then milk out your goats. You weigh it. You take a sample. All of your, your milk samples are sent off to a lab to determine how much butter, fat, and protein your animals are producing. The paper where the milk tester recorded the weights that were measured gets sent to the lab. Then all of the information from the lab goes to the registry and goes to, uh, at least in TMGR, Norm Geyser, who was our milk program director. Norm then crunches the numbers out. There's a calculation that's in our member's handbook that lets you know what the minimum number is and how to calculate that number. And if your doe achieves that number or higher, she's awarded a milk star for a one-day test. Um, there's another program called a 305 uh, milk test, and, and that's where you are uh, sampling milk about once a month. Again, it's a 24-hour period, and you sign up with a particular Dairy Herd Improvement Association, or DHIA, where all of your data is sent to on a monthly basis. And you're, um, they have ma the magic of math and models. And from those nine or 10 or 11 samples that you do during a year, they can then predict out and model out how much milk your dough actually produced during that 305-day period. Um, the reason it's a 305-day period is... Um, if you're in a dairy and you're maximizing milk production, you want your does to freshen once a year. And it's not healthy for your animal to be growing a baby and producing milk at the same time. And you should be stopping milking your doe at least 60 days before she kids. So if you take 365 days in the year and you remove the 60 days that you shouldn't be milking, that's where you get the 305 test. 
um, that you have the ability of not having your doe kid and continuing to milk through and milk for years on end. There's some does that I know of that have uh, been milking for four or five years straight without Mm -hmm. kidding again. Um, But when you then want to compare does, you want to have an even playing field. Right. So again, that's where that 305 date comes in. And that's what those comparisons are based on. And with the 305 uh, test, again, your doe can earn a milk star if she has met the minimums or higher. Um, The other way that uh, does and bucks can uh, have milk stars or milk star titles added to their names is based on inheritance. So a buck can get a star S at the end of his name if his dam and his sire's dam both have documented milk production. Um, Does can earn milk stars not being on test if three of their daughters earn milk stars. So we have a whole inherited star program, and that is all explained on our website or in our member handbook. That sounds like a great additional podcast topic. Uh, Lots of details to go into on that. I know getting into milk testing, it's sometimes um, confusing and how do I, who do I send the milk to, the lab and everything. So that would be a great podcast topic. So coming soon, milk testing. Um, Amy, let's talk a little bit, uh, dive into, uh, shows. So you guys do sanction and do some live shows with TMGR. Tell us a little bit about that. Yeah. So the show program is really driven by members, right? Cause members need to, um, have the desire to host a show. And then if they host a show, we have the ability of, helping them find a judge. Uh, We can recommend what kind of venue or place you want to hold your show. And then um, we we provide a set of rules that set up um, what the standards are for meeting or making a sanction. And if an animal is a grand champion at three different shows where sanctions were met, they then become a Finnish grand champion and have that official title added to their name. Um, As far as showing goes, we have uh, three or four shows that have been around for a really long time. And we have three or four other shows that are relatively new, like two or three years young kind of thing. Um, The whole situation with the pandemic and COVID the last couple of years has made live showing really complicated and and really kind of difficult. Um, But but prior to that, I would say that we were adding a, a new show a year as membership grows and interest grows. Um, the other thing that I would say with TMGR, if, if you are a member and you're interested in hosting a show, TMGR does have a program where we help support your show for the first year or two to, to offset those costs. Because it can take three or four years before a show becomes 
well-known and, and well-attended. And it's those attendance numbers that make the books all balance out at the end of the day, right? So you're not losing money hosting a show. But, but with our shows, you have uh, reserve, we have grand champions and reserve champions for each of the breeds that you have classes for in your show. You have the ability of including best utter awards. You have the ability of including a best in show award. And, and then there's a whole variety of other things that we can help you understand when it comes to shows. If you haven't ever showed, I would highly recommend that you try to go to your local county fair and watch a show before you try to host your first one so you can kind of see how they work. Um, they kind of are a little bit like a dog show, right? As far as a goat show is you walking your goat around an arena with a judge evaluating the confirmation, the the goods and the bads of how the goat is put together. And then that judge makes a, a comparison and gives reasons for why they have selected the first goat as the winner of that age class. And it can be really informative as far as how you start to think about your goats and how you evaluate your own goat. So if you're new to goats, I highly encourage you to pull out that judge uh, scoring chart for a show so you can learn how points are awarded when a judge is evaluating your goat. And it can help you focus in on the most important parts of your animal to pay attention to when you're breeding and making breeding choices. Yeah, just like, you know, one of the things when I got into miniature dairy goats, if someone asked me, Hey, are you going to show your goats? I'm like, no, I'm a, you know, uh, you know, I'm just getting into this for the goat milk. And then you, and then for me, at least I got into it and I'm like, wow, let's, you know, got, had some goat friends around here in Texas. Let's put on a goat show. And so we've been doing one here and it is just so much fun. And you learn so much about your goat, especially if you get some good judges that are really willing to take their time and talk with you. Um, so learning more about goat confirmation, goat anatomy, what a good goat looks like is really important. And that leads us into our next TMGR topic, which is the TMGR confirmation clinic, um, which I participated in last year. And it was amazing. Um, a lot of great feedback. So just I'll turn it over to you and tell us all about the confirmation clinic. Absolutely. The confirmation clinic is one of the things that I think um, TMGR does really well at and um, is, a, is a great service that we provide to the miniature goat community. Um, it does not require you to be a TMGR member to participate. We open it to everybody. Um, prices are a little higher if you're not a member, but everybody can participate. Um, we recognized that, you know, again, going back to we're a 5013C with our primary mission being the education and support of the development of miniature dairy goat breeds, that sometimes it's really hard to know how to breed a good goat. And if you don't have a local live show where you can go and talk to judges and have your goats evaluated, how do you fill that knowledge gap, right? 
And that's why we created the Confirmation Clinic. The Confirmation Clinic allows you to take five photos of your doe in milk, four photos of your juvenile animals or your bucks. Um, they're the five or four angles that you want to kind of evaluate your goat at. The side view, the rear view, the front view, the top view is the four that is on all animals. And then if you have a doe in milk, we want to get a picture of that four udder also to help evaluate. TMGR hires a um, very knowledgeable goat person. Most of the time, those uh, goat, uh, the, the evaluators that we hire for our confirmation clinics are long-term ADGA goat breeders and are either ADGA uh, judges, show judges, or ADGA um, linear appraisals. Um, there have been a couple of our evaluators who did not officially hold an ADGA judge title, but were um, owners of incredibly well-known, well-respected ADGA herd herds, and clearly are breeders who have been doing this for decades and know what a good goat looks like. So from those sets of photos that you submit, um, the uh, judge or evaluator of the confirmation clinic provides feedback on your animals. Um, one of the things that you find when you're at a goat show is that judges don't want to embarrass people in front of the crowd. So they only talk about the good parts of the goats, which is very kind and, and understanding and, and appreciative. As, as somebody who has taken my goats to a show, I, I am glad that uh, I did not have a judge point out in front of everybody the flaws that were there. But it also can make it hard to learn, right? If you only hear good things about your goat, it can then be hard to see maybe where some of the weaknesses are. So in the confirmation clinic, we talk about the good things that we see, the strengths, we have the evaluator indicate what areas are appear to be weaknesses in the photos and then make recommendations or guidance on what you might want to consider doing in breeding that animal to improve the overall goat. So if you have a goat that has really good general appearance but seems to have a weak udder attachment, the confirmation clinic would point out that, you know, it doesn't look like the udder is as well attached as we would like it to be. And to try to find a buck that has that in his background to make, to hopefully get that improvement, right? Every time you breed a goat, it, it really is rolling dice on what comes out on the other side. But if you start off with going, well, this is what I'm trying to fix, or I know I need to work on this particular weakness, um, that can really help you narrow down what, what options to think about when you're breeding your goat and if you're trying to improve your herd. The confirmation clinic happens um, once a year. And uh, mostly that's because it's really complicated trying to get Adiga judges' times, right? Ha having them set enough time aside to, to be able to look at photos and, and um, give you really thoughtful feedback. 
um, all of the his, all of the previous confirmation clinics we keep posted, and that allows that uh, educational resource to be available to all people going forward. So if you're you know kind of uncertain when somebody says, "Oh, your goat is weak in the chine," <laughs> right? You you have these confirmation clinics to go back to and look at the pictures, read the evaluator's comments and start to kind of see how that evaluator looks at goats. I find I do that all the time. I go back and read those resources over and over again because it's really easy to kind of forget or get uh, what's called barn blind, right? You have your favorite goats and you just love them and you can't think about any of their weaknesses and I go back and reread the evaluations and go, oh, that's right. I need to work on those feet or those pasterns or that shoulder assembly or whatever it is that the that the evaluator had pointed out and, and to keep that in my mind as I'm trying to make a better goat herd. Yeah, it's definitely a learning experience submitting your own goats, but as well as getting on there and reading through. And I find it really interested. I raise, you know, many Nubians, but I enjoy really looking at all of the different goats um, and really getting an idea of, okay, wow, this is a great udder and reading about that and how, you know, what they're making for those recommendations. So again, even if you uh, definitely do participate, but if you don't participate, excellent resource to get on there. And um, again, we'll just do a shout out right now to y'all's website, which is tmgronline.com. And we'll we'll have you hit that again at the end to, to give the listeners that again. So Amy, we've just got a few more topics. I'd kind of, um, any, any other, pro- I think we hit all the main programs. Is there anything I'm missing as far as the other thing that TMGR likes to do is we provide all of our members an annual calendar. And our calendar is a uh, breed calendar, right? So it is a gestational calculation. So if you are tracking when you breed your goat and you write down, you know, I bred Betty to Bob on this date, if you look in the lower corner on the calendar, it'll tell you when your doe, if that breeding was successful, is likely to kid. So since we're providing that gestational calendar to all of our members to help them track it when they breed and when they should be expecting kids to hit the ground, we wanted to also give an opportunity to our members to share all the funny and beautiful photos that they have of the characters that they keep on their farm. And we have an annual uh, competition where members submit photos. Those photos are then voted on by the public at large at the TMGR Talk Facebook page is where those get posted. Um, To join, to, to submit a photo, you do need to be a TMGR member, but to vote, you can be anybody to, mm-hmm. to vote on them. Um, and when, when's the deadline on that? I kind of need to. Oh, it- my goodness. Uh, Mary Lisa Cornell is running that this year and not me. It was announced. Um, I think you have to have submissions in by the middle of October. 
Yeah, I was going to sit on the webs on on TMGR talk. I, I'm sorry, I don't know that off the top of no, my head. No, that's okay. It's a great calendar. I actually have it out in my milk house right now, and I use it exactly that. I keep track of a lot of things, and it's really helpful. So, really love that calendar. Um, Amy, you guys have um, a great website that's got a lot of different resources on it. Um, we can, if you, if you have a few things that you want to highlight that the, the listeners could hit your website up to learn, I particularly love the color, color patterns. Um, that's a yeah. section I really like. Yeah. So we, we do again, really focusing on education and helping many breeders produce their best goats. Um, we do have uh, several educational sections where they talk about different confirmation and, you know, different uh, terminology of parts of the goats and what equals, you know, good, strong feet and legs. And what, when somebody says shoulder assembly, what does that mean? Um, we also have um, a pedigree lookup. So if your animals are registered with TMGR, um, you can look them up online and see um, easily displayed uh, six generations of their uh, lineage. And then if you want to go farther back, you can then, you know, figure out those names and, and registration numbers and continue to look them up in our pedigree lookup to track those lines back as far as our databases go. Um, a subset of that uh, pedigree lookup, we also have progeny lookup. So if you wanted to see, you know, which kids came out of which buck or doe or a combination of buck and does, those are presented. Um, we recently on that pedigree uh, lookup added all of our um, G6S information for those mini Nubians. And um, if we, as we get uh, casein genetic information in, the casein uh, genetics also will be posted mm. on our pedigree lookup. Um, we're in the process of um, incorporating all of the milk test data and show data in our pedigree lookup. Right now, um, milk awards and show awards are posted on different portions of our webpage, but it can kind of be hard to track or remember or how to find it all. So we're, um, again, trying to kind of follow that ADGA model of a performance pedigree and have all of that information together in that uh, pedigree lookup in, in one place. Um, and let me see, what else would I, what else would I highlight? The pedigree lookup that I'm excited that you're going to be adding that because that just sounds like that'll be a really robust uh, system, really very user friendly to find that information. So that sounds great. Yeah, when I'm when I'm researching, we have a couple of um, Adga goats here on our farm, not very many, but a couple. And when I'm researching them, you know, I I really use the Adga Genetics webpage a lot. 
And um, we are trying to set up something similar with TMGR on our pedigree. It's young. It's in its infancy. It's growing. We, we, continue, we expect to continue to add utility uh, to that. But at least at this point in time, you can look up you can look up goats and you can look up their lineages, um, which you can't for Midga, which makes me really sad. Yeah. Yeah, definitely. Uh, that's something that uh, TMGR really excels at. So we appreciate that. Well, we've, uh, gosh, we've been chatting a little over an hour now. Um, seems like just not, not very long. Um, the last thing I had here and you kind of somewhat covered it, but I'll just ask if there's anything else. So, I mean, what does the future hold for TMGR? Do you guys have any exciting plans or ideas in the works? Oh, you know, I, I think, um, as far as like new, new things, you know, I, I'm not sure. I, I think we're strengthening the the parts that we're start that we started, right? I think we really want to make sure we get this online pedigree lookup as robust as we want it to be. Mm-hmm. Um, I think we are we're contemplating providing more support for new shows and how to get that up and running. Um, there's a lot of, I, I hear lots of stories of young families that really want their 4-H groups to offer many, you know, mini goat op- opportunities. Um, and a lot of those 4-H clubs are really um, ADGA focused. So trying mm-hmm. to figure out what kind of support we can provide there to uh, help with that. Um, we have considered, you know, starting our own YouTube channel or, or something like that as far as, again, really wanting to hit that um, educational side of things. Um, but there's, you know, there's only so many hours in a day or in a week um, I don't want to, I don't want us to over promise and then under fulfill. Right. Mm-hmm. So I think we're trying to be really strategic in um, what we each bite that we take off to make sure that we can really provide that. I've had some people question, you know, so it's like when you look at the numbers of things, you know, I've had some people ask, you know, how viable is TMGR compared to Midga? And um, I guess I don't spend much time worrying about that, that the people that are part of TMGR are really dedicated to our mission of improving miniature dairy goats and providing that support. And whether we stay, you know, the size that we are now or whether we you know, grow massively, I don't, I don't think that affects our ability to continue to offer the programs that we're offering and the services that we're offering. And as long as we have members who want to participate with us, I don't, I don't see the size being an issue. Although I get that question so often, you know, it's Mm -hmm. kind of like, oh, you know, when are you going to go away kind of thing? Cause you're small. And it's like, I just, I don't, I don't see that happening. We, we have such a dedicated board 
and um, such passionate members that I see us continuing to be in the field of, of many goats for many decades to come. Well, I definitely, um, you know, again, thank you. Um, I myself learned a lot about TMGR today that I didn't already know. Um, I did a lot of research before our interview, but you, uh, you hit on some things that were really, um, eye-opening, um, because I think both, uh, TMGR and MDGA, both of the registries have, have things to offer. And I think, um, if, if either of them didn't exist, it would be, um, not good for the mini dairy goat world. And we want to keep this thing moving forward. And I really appreciate all of the effort and just the, the resources and the tools, what you guys are providing out there to the mini dairy goat uh, community. So I guess, um, Amy, I appreciate you um, logging on today and uh, talking with me a little over an hour and we're going to get this published uh, for all the goat friends out there. And then hopefully um, you might get some more questions. So again, tell us uh, where we can find you on the web, the Facebook, and um, we'll wrap it up here. Well, I would like to thank you very much for hosting this podcast and asking me as the TMGR registrar to to be one of your guests. I, I really appreciate that. Um if listeners to this podcast would like to get more information, you can check us out online at tmgronline, that's all one word, dot com. You can always send me an email. I uh, typically respond within a day. And the registrar's email is tmgroffice at gmail.com. Um, on Facebook, you can find us at TMGR Talk. That's our group page where everybody can participate and share their thoughts and enthusiasm. And then we do have a, a TM, uh, it's the Miniature Goat Registry business page as our official page. Um, that is not as active because... Uh, you know, there's only so many hours in the day that I as a registrar can can spend on social media, but it is there as well. And if you send messages, they they come to me and I can help you that way. Well, thanks again, Amy, for just logging on today and sharing all this information with us. And we really appreciate it. So uh, you GOAT listeners, uh, y'all take care. so much for listening to the mini dairy goat podcast be sure to subscribe to the podcast for our new episodes share the podcast tell all your goat friends about us rate and review the podcast and also you can hit us up on our facebook page mini dairy goat podcast for more information and show notes thank you so much and happy goating